so my presentation is on um, violence and schizophrenia. Um, so first I wanted to just ask, um, you know, this is an open discussion, so feel free to chime in. Um, what everyone in the audience sort of understands about, or what they know about schizophrenia, just based on your experiences or, you know, maybe things you've seen in uh, the media or through television or movies or things like that. What, what do you all know about schizophrenia? I know schizophrenia to be a higher level of dopamine in the brain being processed and auditory and what's the other one? Visual. Visual hallucinations. Right. So yeah, you, you definitely pick up on um, some pretty core symptoms of schizophrenia, which is, you know, auditory, you know, and visual hallucinations. And yeah, certainly one of the uh, mechanisms behind schizophrenia is thought to be related to a neurotransmitter called dopamine um, that is, you know, based on some previous research been found to be elevated in patients with schizophrenia. So yeah, that is certainly thought to be a contributor to schizophrenia. Um, is there anything else that anyone else wanted to add? I think that there's usually um, really interesting things happening with their verbal skills and their language. There's all kinds of lateral transitions that are going on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later, but certainly um, having a conversation with someone with schizophrenia, especially someone who has not received any type of treatment, um, the topic can shift really rapidly from topic to topic without any sort of uh, logical um, type of connection between topics, absolutely. So Dr. Ogain, you have a message in the chat. Uh, Nick Nevada said, is it still a low percentage of individuals with a mental health diagnosis of schizophrenia, question mark, 1%, question mark? Um, so yeah, um, the, what we would call sort of the prevalence of the percentage of the population that has thought to have schizophrenia, I believe is pretty low. Um, I believe around, yeah, one to maybe 2% of the population, but I think one is, is about right, yeah. All right, so if there aren't any other uh, thoughts on schizophrenia, um, I'll go ahead and go on. Um, so this is uh, Ellen Sachs. She's actually a professor of law, um, psychology, psychiatry, behavioral sciences at USC. So um, she actually has schizophrenia and she's, you know, gone on to write a book about her experiences living with schizophrenia. Um, and I provided a link to her TED talk um, where she talks about her experiences living with schizophrenia and her hospitalizations and, you know, her subsequent uh, education and, you know, getting to where she is uh, today being uh, a lawyer and a professor of law. So I thought I would add that just to, if anyone was just interested to hear kind of a more personal side of, of uh, one person's experience of living with schizophrenia. 
Um, so we can talk a little bit about the core symptoms of schizophrenia. Um, so we talked a little bit about hallucinations um, and uh, you know, there's several different varieties of hallucinations. So we'll go a little bit more into that. Um, there's also uh, delusions um, and then uh, disorganized behavior, uh, disorganized speech and what we call uh, negative symptoms. So all together, and this is kind of more on the sort of technical um, psychiatric side of things in terms of the, the criteria for diagnosing someone with schizophrenia. So basically it's two or more of the above symptoms that I talked about, um, one of which must be delusions, hallucinations, or disorganization. Um, generally the symptoms have to be at least six months in duration and not attributed to substances or other medical causes. So, you know, that's important because um, as people may or may not know, uh, certainly drugs, uh, recreational drugs, including stimulants uh, like methamphetamine and uh, cocaine can certainly cause people to hallucinate and um, sort of mimicking some of the symptoms of schizophrenia. So that can sort of be a confounder, but Certainly people with schizophrenia can also use those types of drugs, which can make it difficult to sort of tease out the two. Um, so we'll go ahead and go on to the next slide. So we'll just go through some of the, the core criteria that we talked about to kind of explain what each is. Um, so delusions, um, these are basically uh, fixed beliefs um, that are not amenable to change in light of conflicting evidence. So there's a variety of types of delusions, um, just to kind of give you a better idea of them. So one type is persecutory delusions. So this is oftentimes that, you know, people are after the person um, trying to harm them. So sometimes this will look like, you know, someone will be saying that, you know, a gang or the police are after them or, you know, even one patient that I've had in the past, she believed that someone was following her and trying to poison her through, you know, the vents in her apartment. Um, another subtype of delusions are uh, grandiose delusions. Um, so these are when people believe they have really like superpowers, exceptional abilities, wealth or fame. You know, someone might say they've come up with, you know, the cure for cancer or that they're, you know, really wealthy or sometimes almost a mix of religious and sort of grandiose delusions that maybe that they're God or Jesus or things like that. Um, and then there's ideas of reference, which are basically that um, they, the person is receiving messages that are specific to them, generally through different mediums like, um, TV or radio, so maybe they're watching um, the news and they felt as though the weatherman was giving them a message that was only specifically directed to them and not, you know, sort of the general audience of whoever was watching that newscast. Um, there's also nihilistic delusions, so feeling like a major catastrophe, catastrophe is about to occur. Um, so maybe someone feeling like the end of the world is impending, that a giant meteor is going to, you know, crash into the earth and kill everyone. 
usually people are really distressed by this belief. Um, and there's um, uh, referential delusions, um, which are, again, ideas of reference, essentially. Um, and so hallucinations, so we talked a little bit about those earlier, uh, they come in different types as well. Um, so I believe the most common types of hallucinations in schizophrenia are by far auditory hallucinations. So these are generally, um, you know, sounds that they're hearing uh, or more commonly voices. So a subtype of auditory hallucinations are command auditory hallucinations. So these are voices that are telling the person to do things such as um, to harm themselves or to harm others. Um, sometimes they could be more benign commands like, I don't know, do like clean or something like that. Um, but generally the more worrisome are when they're telling them to harm themselves or others. Um, there's also visual hallucinations. So people will commonly see shadows or people um, sometimes really distressing things like people being killed or murdered or things like that. Um, then there's olfactory hallucinations, which are generally like smell. So sometimes people will smell things like um, burning rubber or something like that. Um, there's also tactile hallucinations. Um, so these are sort of sensations um, that you can feel when there's no stimuli, such as bugs crawling under their skin and Oftentimes that type of hallucination is uh, associated with stimulant use, cocaines or, uh, cocaine or methamphetamine. And then there's uh, gustatory hallucinations, so tasting something that um, isn't from an actual like, stimulus. And so the next sort of core criteria of schizophrenia is um, disorganized speech or behavior. So this is a little bit Maybe confusing um, unless you've sort of seen it or experienced it firsthand. Um, but this can be essentially when people, um, their thought process is altered. So this can be uh, in terms of circumstantiality, which is basically you ask a person a question and maybe they start answering the question. Um, but they kind of go on this really big roundabout explanation that doesn't really answer the question. But then after this sort of verbose, really long explanation, they eventually kind of get to the answer for, your, for the original question. And then uh, tangentiality is essentially very similar, but then they don't actually end up answering the question at all. Um, and then there's also a derailment. So kind of like I talked about earlier. So, you know, if you're having a a conversation with someone with schizophrenia, you might ask them how their day is going and then they'll won't even come close to answering your question and they'll just basically move from topic to topic to topic and keep talking and then you start to wonder what your original question was because they're just really going off on, on random sorts of tangents. Um, and then another sort of type of disorganized um, I guess speech or behavior is um, when uh, someone with schizophrenia is very concrete. So they have difficulty with uh, abstract thinking. So if you were to ask them to interpret a proverb, like, um, you know, don't cry over spilled milk, you know, generally someone would say, you know, you shouldn't make a big deal out of something small, but someone with schizophrenia might 
kind of say something more concrete, like you shouldn't get mad when someone spills the milk. So very concrete um, sort of interpretation of something. Um, and then there's uh, neologisms, which are basically made up words that are oftentimes a mix of two words. Um, so for example, you know, I had a patient with schizophrenia who, you know, was talking, I don't even remember what about, but he had said this word, octortia, and I had no idea what that was. I'd never heard that word before. You know, I asked him to explain what it was just out of curiosity and, you know, it wasn't a very good, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it certainly did not make any type of sense. So yeah, it's often kind of the mix of two words, making a new word that isn't an actual word. And then, um, you know, there's kind of disorganized behavior in terms of uh, random displays of emotions. So, you know, maybe someone is laughing inappropriately when no one's told a joke and you might ask them what they're laughing about and they're not really able to explain it or sort of random agitation or hyperactivity or violence that doesn't have a cause or provocation. And then there's uh, severe neglect. So um, kind of what we mean by that is they might not tend to personal care hygiene um, to the extreme where, you know, maybe they're not able to eat or, you know, uh, shower or use the toilet appropriately, um, which in some cases, you know, can be life-threatening. And then a little bit about uh, negative symptoms. Um, so a lot of times it's kind of more helpful to see these in person, but some of the things that you, you might notice is they have decreased expressivity. So you'll look at their face and they're talking about something, maybe something that's really tragic or sad, maybe about a past um, suicide attempt or something like that. And their face is just completely expressionless. Oftentimes they'll say it's, their face almost looks like they have a mask on, just not moving. They could be talking about something that brings them, you know, joy or happiness and they're not smiling. They're just completely like stone faced. Um, and then this can also um, be reflected as well in, in their speech. So they might kind of speak in sort of a monotone um, way and um, not really be able to tell, you know, if they're, what their emotions would be um, based on what they're talking about. Um, and there's also abolition. So people have a hard time initiating um, activities um, such as self-care or really anything, getting up to eat or anything. So a lot of times maybe they might just kind of sit for long periods of time. Um, there's also anhedonia, which is basically the decreased ability to experience pleasure. Um, elogia, which is, you know, they have diminished speech output. So you might ask them a question and they might not say anything at all, or perhaps kind of only offer one or two word answers, yes or no. And that's kind of all that they'll give you. And there's asociality, which is sort of a lack of interest in social types of interaction. So, you know, they might be completely content with sitting alone in their apartment or something like that. Um, so is anyone sort of aware of um, 
or what are your thoughts about violence and mental illness? Um, kind of similar to schizophrenia, what have you heard through maybe the media or uh, social networks or anything like that? Any thoughts from anyone? Hey, Doc, it's Lawrence Devedra. Um, You know, what I've heard is that um, the mental illness by itself is not as bad as if you mix in more like uh, with substance use instead of uh, them taking their prescribed medications, that that's when, you know, the violence will step up just a little bit and it's still not um, as high as other might think it is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's, you know, something that we'll touch upon a little bit later. Um, but yeah, certainly substance abuse can make the risk of violence increase pretty significantly just um, based on, you know, increased sort of impulsivity when someone's using, say, alcohol or um, different stimulants, things like that. Yeah, it certainly can increase the risk of violence. Absolutely. Any other thoughts? All right, so this is just sort of a brief slide on violence and mental illness in general, not necessarily specifically schizophrenia, but um, just so you know, you all are aware of maybe some general statistics. Um, so really, 2.9% um, of people with symptoms of severe mental illness commit violent acts. You know, the 96% of remaining patients with severe mental illness um, or I'm sorry, the remaining 96% of violence is not associated with mental illness. So far and away, the majority of violence is not associated with mental illness. Um, and that, you know, 70% of perpetrators of mass murders between 2007 and 2011 did not have any mental illness as a precipitant of their murders. Um, and that in fact, people with mental illness are more likely to be victims of violence rather than you know, people who perpetrate the violence. Um, and they're more likely to hurt themselves than others. Um, and you know, uh, some of the things associated with the violence that, and we'll talk a little bit about those specifically in schizophrenia, but economic hardship, victimization, abuse, intimate partner violence, um, previous history of criminal activity and access to firearms can be predictors of violence and mental illness in general, not necessarily just schizophrenia. Um, and so similar to mental illness in general, the, the vast majority of people with schizophrenia do not engage in criminal violence. Um, but some other types of statistics, you know, one in four people with schizophrenia were found guilty of a violent crime. So this isn't saying specifically, you know, one in four people committed murder uh, or anything like that, but this could encapsulate multiple types of crime, including like assault or battery or things like that as well. Um, and then people with schizophrenia were more than twice as likely to be found guilty of a criminal offense um, when comparing to, you know, other people in their community, even when you control for things like substance abuse, uh, age and gender, and it's sort of a wide range, but one study was found that 5 to 20% of um, 
people with schizophrenia are, um, I'm sorry, people with schizophrenia comprise five to 20% of all homicide offenders. So some of the factors that I identified based on um, some, some of the research that I did, just sort of an overview of some of the different factors um, associated with increased violence and schizophrenia include <clears throat> substance abuse. So that's, we talked a little bit about that earlier. Um, another factor is first episode psychosis. So this is sort of basically at the beginning of a person's um, start of when they have schizophrenia that's uh, beginning, um, they'll have what's called either a first episode or first break psychosis um, before they really start to show the long-term symptoms. So that's been associated with uh, increase in violence. Uh, other things, duration of untreated psychosis, uh, treatment compliance with medications, um, history of physical or sexual abuse, um, persecutory delusions, lack of insight, impulsivity, psychopathy, and uh, sex as well. So we'll go into each of these individually. Um, so substance abuse, um, this is probably one of the things that correlated most with um, violence and schizophrenia and was associated with the most severe forms of violence um, as well. Um, so increased risk of homicide for patients with psychosis after discharge from hospital um, with prior substance use. Um, and that 73% of people with psychosis who committed suicide, or I'm sorry, homicide, uh, reported substance misuse um, but interestingly, you didn't necessarily have to be intoxicated on the substance when the homicide occurred. Um, so only 35% of people were actively intoxicated when they uh, committed homicide and had a history of schizophrenia. Um, so yeah, certainly one of the biggest risk factors. And, um, and so um, first episode psychosis, uh, so one out of three people with schizophrenia during their first episode of psychosis um, who were untreated uh, exhibited violent behavior. 16% um, committed a more serious act of violence. And then 38.5% of homicides occurred during first episode psychosis among those experiencing psychosis. So in some ways, this kind of makes sense to, um, you know, maybe, especially if it's their first episode, they probably not been previously diagnosed. Um, maybe they don't really understand what's going on um, in terms of the symptoms that they're experiencing. And um, they're more than likely not to be on any type of medication as well. So um, it certainly makes sense that that could be a, a risk factor. Um, and then uh, another risk factor for violence and schizophrenia is duration of untreated psychosis. Um, so this has been shown to be related to increased violence and schizophrenia. Um, I mean, there's multiple studies kind of looking into the, the link between untreated psychosis and um, worsen, worsen sort of uh, outlook in terms of treatment response when they do finally start treatment, um, the ability to control their symptoms with treatment and overall functioning. Um, I believe it's, uh, referred to as sort of like a kindling effect, uh, sort of meaning that like a, a fire that 
is lit initially and you just let it burn that the fire sort of spreads and gets worse and worse. Um, so similarly, if a person with untreated psychosis goes long periods of time without being uh, treated, the, the psychosis can kind of become worse and worse and um, more treatment resistant as time goes on without treatment. Um, and then another factor associated with increased violence and schizophrenia was treatment compliance. Um, and also, you know, involuntary treatment was also associated with increased violence. So with people who are diagnosed with schizophrenia, um, sometimes they don't, and I'll talk a little bit about this later, but they don't have good understanding of their illness or may not believe that they're mentally ill and so that can lead to differences of, of opinion and whether or not they require treatment um, so there are cases where you know as you may know treatment can be administered involuntarily so one of the things that was found is if involuntary treatment uh, was also associated with increased violence um, and then you know the mainstay of treatment with schizophrenia is generally you know, medications and uh, antipsychotics. So just like any other type of medication, generally if you're not taking the medication, it's not gonna have an effect. Um, so, you know, poor adherence, so people not taking their medications as prescribed was also associated with increased violence. Um, and history of phys physical or sexual abuse, um, particularly in childhood uh, was increased was associated with increased violence, which is also interesting because I think there's some research in schizophrenia just sort of indicating that childhood abuse in and of itself can be a risk factor for schizophrenia. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and then persecutory delusions um, are associated with serious violence. Um, and, you know, 92% of people with a psychotic illness who committed a severe violent offense reported delusional beliefs um, and then paranoid or per persecutory delusions in particular were associated with increased violence so again this also sorts of sort of makes sense so if someone is operating under a delusion that someone is following them uh, trying to harm them or poisoning them you know it sort of makes sense that in some instances, depending on how threatened they feel, they might act out towards this person that they maybe have this delusion is trying to harm them, so. Um, and then we talked a little bit about this earlier, but uh, lack of insight uh, into their diagnosis of schizophrenia. Um, and so, meaning that, you know, they don't essentially think that they have a type of mental illness or they think their symptoms are attributed to something else other than mental illness. Um, so one study even found that this was a single best predictor of violence um, in schizophrenia. And um, I guess worse insight was also associated with first episode psychosis as well, which makes sense because if if you're experiencing these symptoms, you haven't been diagnosed, then you know, it would be difficult to have insight into something you really can't explain or no one's really explained to you before. 
Um, and then another risk factor, uh, impulsivity, meaning people will act out without giving it much forethought. Um, so not really surprising that this can lead to violence. Um, and then psychopathy was another factor uh, associated with increased violence. So I had to do a little more research into exactly what was meant by psychopathy. So, you know, people might be sort of familiar with this in terms of like, uh, you know, popular sorts of portrayals in movies, things like, you know, Silence of the Lambs or something like that. You know, you see Hannibal Lecter, you think someone who commits, you know, heinous crimes, um, maybe they're uh, at least superficially sort of charming if they don't know what type of things that the person has done. Um, lack of remorse, lack of guilt, lack of empathy, um, kind of controlling and of other people. Um, so unsurprisingly, you know, people with uh, schizophrenia who had psychopathy or psychopathic traits was also associated with violence. And then interestingly, I, sex can also be a risk factor um, in schizophrenia and violence. So you know, one of the studies I even found was showing that uh, females with schizophrenia were actually 8.5 times more likely to be convicted of violent crime compared to females without schizophrenia. Just, just in general, violence and the association with sex, male sex is generally thought to be uh, more related to violence than the female sex. So it's interesting that that's sort of flipped um, in schizophrenia. Um, and then kind of just briefly, um, so hearing all these things, you might wonder, well, what can we do to help reduce um, the risk of violence in people who have schizophrenia? So generally from the psychiatric side, you know, like I mentioned earlier, medications are sort of the mainstay of treatment uh, for schizophrenia, in particular antipsychotic medications, which can help improve uh, hallucinations and uh, delusions. Um, of course, like I said earlier, the medication is limited by a person's um, taking it consistently. Uh, but one medication in particular has been studied and been shown to reduce violence. Um, and that medication is an antipsychotic called clozapine. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been studied and shown to decrease violent behaviors. Um, so you might think, great, why isn't everyone with schizophrenia on it? Um, unfortunately, like a lot of medications, um, it has a lot of side effects, including those that are potentially life-threatening. Um, so uh, we have to be mindful of that. Um, there isn't a long-acting form of the medication. So you know, certain types of antipsychotics um, can be administered in a once a month shot so that you know, they don't have to worry about taking an oral medication. This medication does not come in a long-acting form. Um, and so, you know, and then also another thing is it's, it's really only more effective in patients who have tried multiple medications uh, in the past for their schizophrenia that haven't worked. So while it has been shown to decrease violence, there are unfortunately a lot of limitations to using this particular medication. And so that was all of my presentation. Are there any questions at all um, from anyone?
um, Detective Albert. Um, um, are you experiencing, I guess, the age to drop lower with now that there's, uh, or I guess, narcotics are easily available? Um, are you, I guess, kind of experiencing somebody with schizophrenia, developing schizophrenia sooner? Um, I'm not sure that it's necessarily associated with people developing schizophrenia sooner. Um, there has been some research looking into uh, cannabis use as a risk factor for developing schizophrenia in people who might be um, of higher risk of developing schizophrenia anyways. Um, and so, you know, some of it has looked into different potencies of marijuana in terms of like THC and it does seem that there is a little bit of a um, THC uh, dose dependent sort of effect. Um, but I'm not really aware of it uh, necessarily causing schizophrenia earlier. Um, I'm not sure if that's been researched specifically. Um, one other thing to kind of think about too is sometimes people who use drugs like methamphetamine or cocaine for long periods of time, you know, it's not uncommon that people using these drugs will experience hallucinations or sort of paranoid delusions um, that will go away once the effects of the drug sort of subside. But if people use these types of drugs for long periods of time, um, there's risk that those symptoms might not go away even if they've stopped using those drugs. Um, so there is that sort of phenomenon um, that does happen. Any other questions? And I guess, too, one other thing I might add is addressing substance use in people with schizophrenia would obviously go a long way towards reducing uh, violence as well. One thing I didn't mention, but kind of makes sense. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Holguin. Um, if anybody has any additional questions, please type them in the chat. We have one more case.